We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. I'm Scott Trout, CEO of the domestic litigation firm Cordell & Cordell. We help men deal with the life changes triggered by divorce, such as child custody and property division, among many others. But life changes also occur after divorce. These changes can make parts of your existing court order irrelevant or harder to follow. If you feel a modification to your court orders might be necessary, talk to us at Cordell & Cordell. We're a partner men can count on. Contact CordellCordell.com, 1065 East Hillsdale Boulevard, Suite 310, Foster City, California, 94404. You are listening to On The Daily, the Rotoviz Daily Fantasy Sports Podcast, powered by Rotoviz Radio. Hey everyone, I'm Matt Friedman, Matt F. The Oracle of the Action Network in Rotoviz. Welcome to the June 29th, 2018 NASCAR edition of On the Daily. I'm joined by Dr. Nick Giffen, an owner of Rotoviz, a PhD in mathematics, a three-time qualifier for the DraftKings NASCAR main event, and one of the best NASCAR DFS players in the world. You can follow him on Twitter at Rotodoc. Nick, uh, it's been a long time since we've done a show. There was uh, a week off that NASCAR had. Uh, you had the the uh, the the tooth surgery. Uh, then last weekend I was busy. Uh, I mean, I feel like, uh, it was like long lost friends finally seeing each other again. How's it going? Yeah, exactly. Uh, it's been, it's been quite a while since we got to do the normal routine here, but it's nice to be back into the normal routine. Um, but it's going is overall, it's going pretty good. I'm in St. Louis this weekend for a wedding. So I guess it's not completely normal routine for me. Uh, but, uh, I, I love St. Louis. It's, uh, such a great city. And, uh, I actually, fun fact, I grew up a St. Louis Cardinals fan. My dad raised me as a Cardinals fan because he was a Cardinals fan. So, uh, got some connections to the city of St. Louis and now we're here for, for a wedding this weekend. It's going to throw off the schedule a little bit. We'll talk about all that, but, uh, yeah, I'm having a good time. And, uh, I heard a little, uh, whisper birdie speak that, uh, we're actually might have a chance to hang out in person soon, Matt. Uh, yes, because uh, next week I'm going to be in Las Vegas for the Gambling Olympics. 
uh, you know, an event organized by the Action Network and the the three donkeys in particular. So I will be there covering the event. Um, and in an absolute worst case scenario, if someone drops out, I might end up being like the, the 12th person who participates, but let's hope that doesn't happen because I will be absolutely the worst person in the event. Um, but, uh, yes, I will be in Vegas. So we will hang out and like, I guess maybe we can even like record like in person, which we've, we've never done that before. So that would be cool. Yeah, maybe. Uh, I'm going to be gone next weekend as well. Oh, but, that's right. Uh, that's yeah, right. but I'll be back before you leave Vegas. So, yes, uh, yes we can, that's right. We can at least, like, uh, have a beer or something. Yes, yes, we'll we'll hang out. Um, it's hilarious that the one time I'm, I'm going to Vegas, you won't be there for part of the time. But, uh, yes, we will see each other. Uh, okay, let's, uh, let's get into it. Uh, after a couple of weeks off, uh, the pod is back, and we have a race at Chicagoland. So last weekend, NASCAR ran its first of three road course races this year uh, at Sonoma. And this is the, the first year, uh, maybe ever, right, that we've had three road courses. Uh, yeah, maybe since like the early 80s or something, at least yeah. since we've been doing it. <laughs> yeah, at least since we've been doing it. And that that's my frame of reference here. Uh, so uh, can you talk a bit about what we saw at Sonoma? Yeah, well, uh, obviously the third road course race this year is the what they call the Roval at uh, Charlotte. So they'll be racing part of the oval track and then part of the infield. Uh, so it is technically a road course race, and it'll I think it'll race like a road course race. But going back to Sonoma, uh, it was it was kind of a boring affair. There really weren't many cautions. I think there was one caution uh, that wasn't uh, a planned caution. You know, the the competition cautions is a planned caution, or the end of stage cautions are planned cautions. Now. There wasn't even a competition caution last week, and so it was just the stage cautions and I think one more caution. Uh, but uh, Martin Truex Jr. took the win. Kevin Harvick came in second, kind of almost exactly as uh, you know the model predicted, uh, the, the strongest cars. So it was funny the way the model worked out last week, and there were like tiers of drivers, and the top five drivers in the model's top tier – at one point, we're running one through five. Uh, Hamlin took kind of a bit of a worse strategy, but uh, the other guys finished sixth or better in the top tier. So they all kind of lived up to the model expectations. Uh, if you looked at the sim scores, Truex was predicted to have the highest upside in laps led, then Harvick, and, and of course, they led. They were, they were the two top dominators there. Uh, and Truex is, I think, like $1,000 cheaper than Harvick. So Truex ended up being the best play, even though Harvick, I think, scored a couple more points. But uh, they were definitely two guys to to beat at, at Sonoma this past weekend. They've been two of the really the top three or four dogs to beat this year. Um, maybe five if you kind of lump in Kyle Larson, even though he doesn't have a win. But obviously this year we've got Harvick, we've got Kyle Busch, we've got Truex with multiple wins, and we've got Clint Boyer now with multiple wins. So um, Boyer won one of the races a couple weekends ago. So uh, it really has been the Ford show plus kind of, you know, Larson or sorry, I should say plus uh, Truex and Kyle Busch and then also a little bit of Larson. But really the Fords, even, you know, the Penske guys, Blaney, um, Menard, uh, not Menard, uh, Keselowski and uh, Joey Logano, uh, the whole Stuart Haas racing team has been very good. And uh, like I said, those those top tier Toyotas, even you can kind of throw in Danny Hamlin's been in the mix a little bit. Uh, Eric Jones and, and Daniel Suarez less so from JGR, but uh, overall still kind of the same thing we've been talking about all year. But last weekend at Sonoma, another kind of predictable race. Um, the stages made things 
kind of interesting with some strategy. There were some teams that pitted before, like two laps before the stage ended, so that they would come in and pit under green. You don't lose a lap when you pit at Sonoma. So they would come out still in the lead lap, and then the, the stage would end, caution. They'd come back, catch up to the, t- to the field. They'd be on the tail end, but then the leaders would have to pit, or whoever didn't pit, uh, I should say, before the end of the stage, pitted at the end of the stage and went to the back. So it actually was advantageous to not pit under the stage cautions there. We're going to see that again at some of the other uh, road course races this year. So a little bit of uh, road course reference stuff there for, for going forward and a little bit of rest of season stuff. We still say, kind of seeing the same dominant teams and drivers this year. Okay. Let's talk about Chicagoland. It is a one-and-a-half-mile tri-oval. It opened in 2001 and has not been paved since, so it is an older surface. Talk about Chicagoland and how the age of the surface might impact what we see this weekend. Yeah, so um, Chicagoland, as you mentioned, one-and-a-half-mile oval. It's not super highly banked uh, like we see at some of the quad ovals like Atlanta uh, or Charlotte. Uh, it's not variable banking like we see at Kansas or at uh, Las Vegas. So it's more in the mold of a Kentucky. Now, Kentucky has two uh, – it, it has banking uh, that's the same throughout the corner, but it's for, turns one and two are banked differently than turns three and four, so also a little bit different. So Chicagoland is kind of a unique mile and a half. Uh, the other thing that's interesting about Chicagoland is even though it's a tri-oval – the back straightaway, which is normally straight on most of these one-and-a-half-mile ovals, is a little bit curved, uh, which gives it kind of a unique feel as well. You are not, uh, you don't make as much of a sharp turn coming out of turn two onto that back straightaway there. There's a little bit of a, kind of a, a slow arcing curve. It's not really like a, a tri-oval, um, or it's not really like a, a tri-oval curve where it's more sharp in you know going through the, back, the front straightaway, but it's more subtle. But uh, it does change a little bit how it can be raced. Uh, but as far as the surface coming into play, obviously, I think that means we'll see some tire wear. Um, so tires are going to be absolutely important. Anytime there's a caution, I expect drivers will come in and get uh, as many tires as possible. Some teams might try to gamble early on with two tires to see how that works out. So you could see a little bit of shuffling early on, um, trying to get some track position and then hoping for, uh, you know, maybe a caution after 20 laps or something like that. So they gain a bunch of track position and then can come in pit with everybody else pitting again. Because anytime a caution comes out, teams are going to be pitting. So uh, that's going to, you know, impact the racing a little bit this weekend. Other than that, Kind of your typical mile-and-a-half oval. We're still, as we get into the show, we're going to talk about, we're still going to be looking at a lot of the same things. A little subtle, Some subtle differences here and there, but by and large, uh, a fairly standard mile-and-a-half oval like we've seen at, at most of the mile-and-a-half ovals this year. We're going to have kind of the top drivers and teams, I think, rising to, to the surface here. And uh, no pun intended with surface, but uh, and then we're you know we're gonna have our our mid pack drivers and then our back markers. And uh, as we get into the show, I'll t- kind of talk a little bit about each of those tiers because I think uh, the way Chicago Land has raced, I don't want to spoil too much since we're so early in the show, but the way Chicago Land has raced, uh, I think it's gonna it's gonna make it very interesting how we play these different tiers. Okay, one uh, very nice surface pun there. Way to go! You are already in fine form. Uh, two. We have a kind of weird schedule this weekend. So uh, for everyone listening, we are recording this before qualifying. We're recording this on Friday. Qualifying is on Saturday, and there are two practice sessions. Both of them are on Saturday, and both of them are before qualifying. So that kind of changes potentially uh, the nature of those practice sessions and the uh, maybe predictive ability that they have. Uh, because some teams might be using practice to kind of get ready for qualifying. But uh, how how do you think we should uh, interpret 
the data that we get from practice? Yeah, so I think it's actually not going to be too complicated. Uh, I think um, the two practice sessions are during the day. They'll be during the heat of the day. Uh, and uh, when I say heat of the day, it's very hot right now in the Midwest. So um, it'll they'll be held during the heat of the day. It'll be hot. It'll be slick. And it, it should be more like race conditions um, because uh, the race will be in the middle of the day as well. Qualifying will be in the evening. So what I expect is if teams make a mock qualifying run, it'll be towards the end of that second practice session as it starts to cool off a little bit and gets closer to qualifying time. Uh, I wouldn't expect any any mock qualifying runs as as teams roll off the track, you know, roll off the hauler there. Uh, they want closely dialed in for, um, you know, for, for the race as much as possible. If they're not even near it for the race, they may just skip qualifying trim altogether and continue to focus on the race. But by and large, I think we're going to see teams focusing on race trim and opening practice and for the good bulk of the second practice. And then maybe towards the end of uh, second practice, you'll see teams doing some mock qualifying runs. The only other caveat is uh, there may be a few teams that, that gamble and do a mock qualifying run very, very, very early um, on on the first practice session, I, I would expect most wouldn't, but there might be a couple teams that do that just because it could be the coolest point of the day because it's actually uh, at 1130 uh, Eastern, so 1030 local time uh, will be the first practice. So it won't have completely heated up. Uh, you know, the sun won't have been out for as long. So maybe that'll be the closest that they get towards uh, qualifying conditions. So you may see some teams do it very early in the opening practice, Others may do it late in the final practice, but uh, um, there really isn't going to be a way to simulate qualifying temperatures because qualifying is going to happen at six o'clock in the evening. um, And as the three sessions go on in qualifying, it's just going to get cooler and cooler and and, uh, the sun is going to be closer and closer to going down. So uh, practice sessions during the heat of the day, it's going to be very tough. So I'd expect most teams to to uh, focus on race trim for most of those practice sessions. We will get some 10 lap averages in. Uh, and so that's, of course, going to be the thing to focus on this weekend. So normally there are three practices, the second, third practice or after qualifying. And uh, we tend to prioritize the uh, the third practice. Uh, I mean, sometimes the practice you know can be a little bit different in terms of when qualifying comes in that order. But normally we prioritize the the, the final practice. Out of these two practices, which one uh, are you prioritizing a little bit more in your models, or do you think it's going to be an average of the two? Uh, definitely we'll be prioritizing the second one because that's going to be uh, even closer to race time conditions. Uh, it'll be from 2 to 2.50 Eastern time, so 1 to 1.50 Central time in Chicagoland, and that's going to be really close to the race time conditions as well. Uh, I think the race starts at... 2.30 Eastern, so 1.30 local time there in Chicago. Uh, so definitely the second practice, and the model shows that final practice as well is going to be the most important. So we're definitely going to look at the 10-lap or, or even longer run times if we get them from uh, from NBC. So this race, of course, is going to be covered by NBC, the first race of the year uh, covered by NBC. Before that, they were all on Fox. Now all of them will be on NBC or NBC Sports Network uh, will be where the various practice sessions are and then the race as well. Dale Jr. is joining the booth this year for NBC. But uh, so we'll see if we get 15 or, or, or anything, you know, any longer lap averages from NBC like we would occasionally get from Fox. So that's kind of a little bit of a wrinkle as well, because the spot, the place we used to always get our our 15 or even sometimes 20 lap average 
data was always from the TV broadcasts or from the, the TV broadcasters on Twitter. We'll have to see if uh, the switch to NBC, if we get the same kind of information or not. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the schedule, the compressed schedule. So uh, along with changing, uh, obviously, how we maybe look at uh, at practice and qualifying. Um, it also, I imagine, changes the content schedule that you have at Rotoviz this weekend. Uh, what is the content schedule? Yeah, so like you said, with the compressed weekend and also uh, the fact that I'm here at a wedding in St. Louis, uh, it's going to be a bit of a different schedule. Um, qualifying will end around 7 o'clock Eastern, give or take you know, 15 minutes. Uh, and so... I will actually be in the middle of attending the wedding and the reception when it ends. So um, there's a small chance I could sneak out at some point. The wedding is literally I can see the wedding uh, area from my hotel window. So that's good. But uh, so I, maybe I could sneak out. Uh, otherwise, uh, I'm just going to have to write up the article and get the apps updated after the wedding. So it would be like pretty late Saturday night uh, central time. So, you know, maybe 11 o'clock midnight central time, I'll get the article uh, started to get written and, and get the apps updated. So ex- basically expect everything overnight if you're kind of on the East Coast or, or very late if you're on kind of the West Coast, um, that that'll be popped up. The road of his article, the road of his apps being updated. And then the road of his live show, I will record it Sunday morning and have it posted on roadofhis.com slash live by three hours before lineups lock. So again, lineups lock, I believe at 2.30 Eastern time. So it'll be posted by 11.30 Eastern time, which is, uh, of course, 10.30 here Central and 8.30 in the morning if you are like me and live on the West Coast. Okay, so for everyone who is interested in the road of his content, you can get a 30% discount to a special NASCAR pass through the NASCAR podcast homepage, rotoviz.com slash NASCAR podcast. With that pass, you get unlimited access to all of Nick's premium NASCAR content and your subscription supports the pod. Also, if you are subscribing to the Rotoviz NASCAR package, then you have access to a lot of great tools and data. With all of the research that you are doing, you should place some NASCAR bets at mybookie.ag. They have a number of futures bets and uh, head-to-head props for each race. And I bet the props at my bookie every week. Uh, you should check them out. Uh, they are fun to play. They are a great way to leverage your Rotovis subscription and to supplement your NASCAR DFS action. So join now. Go to mybookie.ag and they will match your deposit with a 50% bonus with the promo code NASCAR. Mybookie.ag. You play, you win, you get paid. I'm out of practice. That was probably the worst my bookie promo read I've done. That's all right. That's all it's, right. We'll, we'll get back into this. I don't think it, I don't think it really matters though. You know. Yeah, but, I think like, you just need yeah. to kind of get in back into the groove, and, and you know, once you hit like lap five or six of doing this again, I think you'll be good. <laughs> right. Okay. Let's talk about Chicago. Let's shift into gear and talk about Chicago land. Boom. Nailed it. Uh, okay. So 400 miles, 267 laps. Uh, at that race distance. Uh, I'm imagining that dominators will be important. How many are you looking to roster this weekend in cash games and GPPs? Yeah, this is a this is an interesting weekend for dominators because um, it's not quite the 300 or the 325 like we see at Atlanta uh, or the 300 and what is it 33 uh, that we see at the 500 mile one and a half mile track races. So. A little less important than those, but still important to get dominators. But what I think is even more important is the dominator history here at Chicagoland. 
it is much more spread out than a lot of the mile and a half we've been to recently. Uh, if we look at 2015, Kyle Busch led 45% of the laps, but then we had three drivers all lead uh, – 37 to 41 laps. So we had Kurt Busch lead 37, Martin Truex Jr. lead 39, and Jeff Gordon uh, lead 41 laps. So um, pretty pretty spread out there. They're all around 13, 14, 15% of the laps led. Um, not really enough to be like a major dominator, but all three were kind of minor dominators. So what really happened with those three drivers is the ones that also scored good place differential and finishing position were the ones you were going to want in your, you know, in your winning lineup. Uh, also the fastest laps between those three drivers, Kurt Busch had 48, uh, Jeff Gordon had 31 and Martin Truex Jr. had 14. So don't forget, of course, about the fastest laps as well. Usually when we think dominator, we think fastest laps and laps that are highly correlated. And usually they are, but in this case with Truex leading only 39 laps and only 14 fastest laps, he probably was, despite leading you know, more laps than Kurt Busch, was less valuable because Kurt Busch had a lot more fastest laps uh, with 48 to 14. So that's 24 versus seven points in fastest laps. But you know, kind of spread out there in 2015. If we look at 2016, uh, we had Jimmy Johnson lead 43.7% of the race. We had Chase Elliott lead 27.8% of the race. And then we had Martin Truex Jr. 11.9. So we'd really call that a two-dominator race. But then the interesting one is last year, the first year was stages, 2017, we had kind of four dominators, uh, sort of, you know, we had a driver lead 15.7% of the race. That was Chase Elliott again. 22.1% uh, was Kevin Harvick. Then we go 28.8% was Martin Truex Jr., a name we've heard twice on this list, just like we've heard Elliott twice on this list. And then uh, Kyle Busch, another name we've heard twice on this list, lead 32% of the laps. So four drivers there leading between 155 and 32% of the laps led last year. So the Dominators are a little spread out at Chicagoland, at least based off of the last three races. And I, I do like to use the last three as the best reference because in 2015, they really started cutting the downforce. Uh, and also the track surface age, of course, is much closer in these most recent three years than going back further to 14, 13, 12, et cetera. So uh, I think those are the most three most representative races, obviously, since they're the three most recent. And the 2017 one's very interesting because of the stages as well. Uh, and so we've seen some spread out dominators. So I'd use two or three dominators in most of my lineups this weekend. Um, I do think we can, based off of what we've seen this year with fewer numbers of, of, of dominators and total leaders, you know, kind of hitting a, a, a low now for NASCAR these days. I do think two is probably the preferred uh, dominator structure I would use, but certainly we could see a three dominator lineup as well, just given past precedents here. So uh, I like combination of two and three. If you're going cash games, you probably just want to go two. I don't think uh, you know that third dominator will give you uh, any extra floor. It'll probably just decrease your floor. It might raise your upside. Like that's why we would use it in GPPs. But I think in cash games, you probably just want two dominators. Uh, in GPPs, uh, I think three dominators and two dominator mix is, is the way to go here. Okay. Uh, in terms of statistics. What are you looking at to uh, determine, to predict dominators for Chicago? Yeah, so um, I think uh, a lot of it, of course, is going to be what we've talked about for most of these races this year. Uh, it's going to be, uh, you know, what have you done for me this year in terms of dominance? So your laps led and fastest laps this year. Um, also, your track type dominance. And because we've talked about how Chicagoland is so unique at um, – you know, at uh, I would say compared to some of these other mile and a half, it doesn't have a variable banking. It doesn't have high banks like the quad ovals. Uh, it doesn't. It has this weird, you know, kind of backstretch. 
There is some track history in terms of track laps led as well. And that's why I wanted to point out some of these drivers like Elliott. Truex showed up there twice. Kyle Busch showed up there twice. Um, you know, you probably can expect Harvick to show up there pretty frequently. Track dominance is also very important in the model for dominator points this weekend, uh, both in, in fastest laps and in laps led. The track dominance history shows up, uh, in, in, it's pretty much the exact same stats for both fastest laps and laps led. So they do correlate very highly. Obviously there can be individualized cases like we talked about with Kurt Busch and Martin Truex Jr. where one might lead more laps and the other might have more fastest laps. By and large, dominator points correlate very highly here between laps led and fastest laps. Okay. What stats are you looking at to gauge overall driver performance? Yeah. So um, it's actually, like we said, it's going to be similar to most of the mile and a half this year. Uh, but, also with that little bit of wrinkle of, of Chicagoland being so unique. So, you know, look at long run speed. Uh, the 10 lap average, of course, is the data we get from NASCAR. If we get anything from TV, from NBC, definitely look at the longer run speed as well. Uh, so whether that's 15 lap average, if we get that, definitely look at that. Uh, year to date driver rating, year to date dominance, uh, track type dominance, um, actually goes into the finishing position model. And uh, quality pass percentage this year as well. So quality pass percentage and driver rating are are usually pretty intertwined, um, but they both show up as independent stats in the model this weekend uh, for for enhancing predictiveness. And I think that might just be because of the nature of Chicago land with the tire wear, uh, with the uniqueness of the track. Um, being able to pass here is important, um, especially because we'll you know we'll talk about some other things here. But uh, I think that's why the the quality pass percentage shows up in the model. Speaking of the model, how predictive do you think it is this weekend? So this one is going to blow everyone's mind, uh, but uh, the model is the highest that we have had all year. The R squared of the model is 0.75, so 75% of the variance in finishing position, at least uh, for the historical data we have, uh, can be predicted by the factors in this model uh, and that's with a standard deviation of around 5.7. So uh, pretty, pretty accurate model this weekend. Wow. Um, yeah, I think it's 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 pretty crazy. I was I wasn't necessarily expecting that. But after last year, uh, just adding to the predict- predictability of what was an already predictable race, um, this this uh, model is just and then also, of course, me enhancing the model and, and adding new things in and finding new things. Uh in terms of the very specific key stats, so like I said, uh, the 10 lap average, the it, when I say year to date driver rating and then year to date dominance, I'm really mainly talking about fastest laps instead of laps led. So uh, more weight on fastest laps than laps led when you're gauging finishing position. Uh, but then the track type dominance uh, with laps led and then the quality pass percentage, finding all these little key numbers and then figuring out you know the right number of races to go back and look at these uh, is, is what kind of the tweaks I'm making in the model to really enhance the predictability. And so 0.75, the highest we've seen all year, uh, standard deviation of around 5.7. So I expect uh, good things from the model this weekend. And that also means the sim, sh- sim scores should be very nice in terms of uh, gauging upside and uh, you know median finish as well. Hey, sports fans, football season's here, and it's time to get in on the action with my bookie. MyBookie is the industry-leading sports betting website that offers real Vegas odds on football, baseball, and all your favorite sporting events. You can take a side, the total, or even fantasy points props. MyBookie lets you bet online and win big. Did the game already kick off? Don't sweat it. MyBookie has in-game live betting on every major league and event. 
even esports. There's no better time to join MyBookie than today. Go to MyBookie to open an account and start winning. Use promo code CHAMPION when you register for your account and get a 100% sign-up bonus up to $1,000 on your first deposit. Bet today. Visit MyBookie's website or call 844-866-2387. That's 844-866-2387. Check them out today and use promo code CHAMPION for a 100% bonus. Terms and conditions apply for entertainment purposes only. Void where prohibited. Uh, can we talk a little bit more about the predictability of the model? So uh, earlier in the show, we mentioned that the uh, the surface of the track hasn't been repaved since 2001. And I believe that you also mentioned that Chicagoland does not have variable banking. So I imagine uh, we might see just a little more consistency across the race. Um but I mean, I'm, I might be wrong in that, but what do you think makes this, uh, it seems like this track in particular, uh, so predictable? Uh, yeah, that's actually a really good question. I think, I think you're right. I think it's the lack of variable banking. So it makes it harder to pass here, uh, in terms of, of there's less grooves of racing. Um, I will say obviously the tire wear factor will make it easier to pass, but that's only if you're on a vastly different tire strategy, uh, or if you've really conserved your tires a lot better than the guy in front of you, then it's easy to pass. But that's why I think quality pass percentage comes into play, because uh, if, if you got this kind of one groove track, um, you know, I think it, it makes it a little bit harder to pass when there's less banking uh, or less variable banking. Uh, the whole point of variable banking is to promote lots of different grooves of racing. And so when you take that away, um, you get less grooves of racing. The other thing that we've started to see uh, is fewer wrecks like in Atlanta, uh, Auto Club. We don't have as many crashes. We may have a blown tire or two, but by and large, we don't have as many wrecks on these high tire wear tracks because these drivers are already driving on eggshells when the tires start to wear down. Um, so they're not really pushing the envelope in terms of speed. So they're not on the aerodynamic edge that they could be. Uh, so it's a lot easier to handle these cars in terms of, uh, not in terms of tire wear, but in terms of just like not being on the aerodynamic, the ragged edge. You add in the heat, uh, and, um, you know, that's just going to lower speeds as well. So, if, you know, if you got really cool temperatures, the car's going to go a lot faster and you could be on the aerodynamic edge a, a little bit easier. But you add in the heat of the race here. Uh, I think uh, all of that kind of combines to a really predictable race. And uh, I mentioned the, you know, kind of the, the, the DNF rate, or not the DNF rate, but uh, the low incident rate at high tire wear tracks. Well, it turns out if we look at the incident rate at Chicagoland Speedway, lower than even our super low one this year at Richmond of 0.1. You go back to 2014 for Chicagoland, uh, and it's only 6.5%, 6.8% incident rate. Uh, if you go back to 2015, it's 6.5%. So there was like one extra incident you know, in 2014 than normal. So uh, the incident rate is very low at Chicagoland. Um, you know, we can expect if, if only 6 or 7% of the field is going to have an issue – well, you're talking at a, in a 38-ish driver field, 38 to 40 driver field. That's like two to three, maybe four cars tops that'll have an incident uh, on average. So, um, you know, obviously there'll be times where more cars have incidents, and that's. But we're talking on average here. The incident rate is very low. So with a low incident rate, uh, you know, I think. Um, uh, low incident rate and then uh, high predictability. Very interesting weekend. Yeah, so and it makes sense that if the track is predictable, uh, kind of correlated with that, you would have a low incident rate. What does that mean for GPP strategy? 
Yeah, I, this is what I'm trying to wrap my head around this weekend because obviously it sounds like it sets up as a very chalky weekend. Uh, if you've got a very highly predictable model, you've got a low incident rate. Uh, but this is where I think it kind of boils down to what we were talking a little bit about with the tiers uh, of drivers, you know, the top tier, the middle tier of drivers, maybe the lower middle tier, and then the Joe Dirt drivers. You probably don't need many very Joe Dirt drivers if there's going to be nobody wrecking out, nobody having major incidents, and everything's going to be very predictable. You can predict the Joe Dirt drivers are going to finish near the back uh, instead of picking up five, six, seven, eight, ten spots or hanging around on the lead lap because it's a track like Bristol where we get a lot of cautions or things like that. Uh, or, and so, you know, they get the wave arounds and the lucky dogs and all that. So uh, I expect uh, the Joe Dirt cheap drivers, by and large, is going to be a tier that we really don't need to use much of. Uh, maybe the lower middle tier. Um, so, you know, you, you think that range in like the 6K to maybe lower 7K range, that range right there uh, will kind of be our air quote Joe Dirt cheap range this weekend in terms of what we'll be focusing on using in our lineups, right? These these drivers in that in that range, you know, a lot of times you see like your Paul Menards, your Casey Canes, uh, maybe you know, um, for example, uh, your your AJ Allmendingers or Chris Bushers of the world. That type of tier will be what we consider like the dirt cheap uh, uh, tier this weekend. So um, I think uh, I think what in terms of predictability and then the tiers, you're gonna obviously you're gonna want to find your dominators, which should be kind of predictable. Uh, your finishing position is very predictable, so you're going to want to rely on the model pretty heavily. And then the way to approach this for GPPs is I think there's two ways to approach it in terms of ownership. I like to have lineups where I'll have a lot of chalk and then uh, maybe in the back markers, uh, air quote back markers, I'm thinking that lower middle tier, uh, I might try to find some of the lower owned drivers either in that lower middle tier or that kind of middle tier, the seven to eight, you know, eight mid 8K range or upper 8K range, uh, find some lower owned drivers in those tiers and kind of go chalkier on the top tiers. And then I think there's a, a way you can kind of maybe pick the chalky dominator, maybe pick contrarian dominator or something like that. And then um, maybe go in terms of like, instead of all chalk with these drivers in the middle, you maybe go more guys that are like, I wouldn't say low owned, but you go a lot of medium owned type drivers. I think that's kind of an interesting roster construction as well. I think I prefer the first where you go chalky towards the top and more contrarian towards the back this weekend, though. So that's probably what I'll be focusing on for most of my lineups. Okay, you mentioned earlier uh, the heat, and the Midwest is experiencing a heat wave. Saturday calls for high temperatures, but there's also a chance of rain in the forecast uh, for Sunday. So how are you adjusting your strategy, uh, if any, uh, in consideration of the weather? Yeah, so seems like... a Many years or many races, both last year and this year, we've we've talked about weather. Uh, we've also seems like in many races we talked about qualifying, but uh, fortunately we don't have to on this podcast. Uh, all the qualifying craziness will get to happen on Saturday night. But as far as the weather is concerned, if we do get weather and it pushes it back further in the evening, the track will cool down. Uh, that will change the dynamics of the race a little bit. Obviously, the cars will be going faster. Uh, I don't think it's a super major issue because uh, you know I think. Um, Obviously, with the nature of Chicagoland, we're, we're still going to have some, some slower speeds relative to what they could be on a newer surface. So you might see a little bit more incident rate. Uh, but uh, I, I think, um, you know, the, the weather, from what I'm looking at right now, it looks like they can get the race in. It just there's obviously a chance they could get pushed into the evening if that's the case. Uh, I wouldn't change a whole lot. I think they could still get the race in because they do have lights at Chicagoland Speedway, so they could race late into the evening if they want. I'd expect them to get the full race in. So it doesn't really change my strategy as far as dominators or anything like that. 
The only thing it might do uh, would be to cool off the track a little bit, maybe make an extra incident or two. In that case, maybe there's a chance you could drop down a little bit further into some of the Joe Dirts, uh, but that might be the only major change I make. Other than that, uh, you know, we're probably going to be racing in the heat of the day. It's not going to be as hot on Sunday with the possible uh, rain coming in. It should only be, I think, in the lower 90s for the high, but that's still pretty hot. Um, but uh, in the evening, it'll cool down into the 70s. So if, if that's what happens with rain, it gets pushed in the evening. You could see an extra incident or two just from faster speeds and also maybe a little bit less reliability on practice times because practice will be in the heat of the day. So maybe that's a situation where you want to fade practice a little bit. Some teams may have a better uh, car that runs across all different conditions than other teams that are very uh, intolerant to temperature and track changes. Okay. Uh, let's talk about a few drivers. Uh, so granted, we don't have practice times yet. We don't have qualifying position. But uh, before all of that, are there any drivers you think are over or underpriced this weekend uh, who are catching your eye? Yeah, I think, uh, it, you know, really that top tier makes a lot of sense with Harvick, Kyle Busch, Truex, Larson, Kazowski, Boyer, Logano, Hamlin. So those are kind of all the drivers we focused on at the top of the show in terms of like these are the drivers to have beat to beat this year. You go down to that next tier, though, the Almirola all the way down to like uh, Jamie McMurray tier in the 8K range. I am a little bit surprised to see Chase Elliott at 8,500, uh, obviously given what he's done at Chicagoland and how there is track history involved in the model. Um, you know, Chase Elliott, uh, 8,500 looks like a nice value. Ryan Blaney at 8,300. Uh, you know, he's kind of been, I think, closer to like Logano and Almirola this year than I think he's been closer to like McMurray this year. So, uh, I definitely like Blaney at 8,300. Eric Jones, 7,900. Uh, you know, usually he's been in the mid 8K range, lower to mid 8K range. Uh, I'm not sure why he's dropped in price here. So another driver that catches my eye. Uh, and then going down further, we talked about uh, the Joe Dirt cheap range, of course, um, kind of being a wasteland. But Trevor Bain uh, is down there at 5,500. I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that he's missed some races because Matt Kenseth hopped into that car. Uh, he definitely hasn't been performing well. But if he does perform, you know, kind of similar to his teammate uh, Ricky Stenhouse Jr., who's at 6,800, that could be the guy you drop down into this Joe Dirt cheap range for is Trevor Bain at 5,500. So, uh, I expect some chalk there with Trevor Bain as well. Other than that, I think everything seems pretty standard. Uh, I think, uh, you know, in the 6K range, I'm not really too surprised by anything. Um, maybe William Byron at 6,400, who's been running a lot better than a $6,400 car as well. So, um, but, uh, yeah, I think other than that, really the, the surprises for me kind of come in that 8K to upper 7K range. I think some underpriced drivers there. Okay. Once more, give us the content schedule for this weekend. Yeah. So um, once again, NASCAR qualifying will end around uh, 7 p.m. Eastern, give or take 15 minutes. I will be in the middle of a wedding. So when I get back from the wedding, I will write up the article. I will update the apps. So it'll be late Saturday night, um, you know, probably past midnight Eastern time. Uh, and then if you're on the Pacific Coast, you could probably expect some the article and, and the apps updated you know, maybe getting closer to 10, 11 midnight Pacific time. So I'll be working into the wee hours in the morning uh, when I get back from the wedding. So I'll go to sleep. I'll wake up. We'll, I'll record Rotoviz Live. Uh, so get your questions in after qualifying using hashtag RVLive. And then I will record it here in the hotel and get it posted by three hours before lineups lock. Uh, and so lineup lock is at 2.30 Eastern. So I will have it posted by 11.30 Eastern, Rotoviz Live. 
uh, over at rotaviz.com slash live. Okay, that is going to do it for this NASCAR edition of On the Daily. For Nick Giffen on Twitter at Rotodoc, I'm Matt Friedman, Matt F. the Oracle. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you for listening to On the Daily, the Rotoviz Daily Fantasy Sports Podcast, powered by Rotoviz Radio. And special thanks to Randy E. Aguabo for the introduction. Please review the podcast on iTunes under the established Rotoviz Radio feed. Contact us via email on the daily DFS at gmail.com and follow us on Twitter at on the daily DFS. Hi, welcome to the Subway ad for $2.99 subs. How would you like it? Uh, I'll take Drill Sergeant, please. You got it. All right, now listen up. I want each and every one of you to drop and give me a six-inch meatball marinara. Cold cut combo. Veggie delight. Or black forest ham on your choice of bread with any veggies you want for just $2.99 each. Subway! Make it what you want at participating restaurants. Additional charge for extras plus applicable tax. No additional discounts or coupons may be applied. This September at local area Subway restaurants, your meal purchase will help our neighbors in need. Purchase a sub drink and chips and help us donate 200,000 meals to local Feeding America food banks. Subway meal includes any sub salad or wrap with any drink and chips or two cookies. For every two meals purchased through September 30th, participating Subway restaurants will donate one meal up to 200,000 meals to San Francisco and East North South Bay Area food banks. One meal is the monetary equivalent of 10 cents. Meals secured by Feeding America on behalf of local member food banks. So pick up a great meal and make a difference in the community.